Don and I just got back from a couple weeks in our trailer and taking a little trip down to the south of Utah, and we hit a couple, uh, well, actually four, four national parks in two weeks. Uh, two, we just kind of breezed through and didn't spend very much time there. We went through Capitol Reef and did one of these, you know, just kind of did a glance. And uh, we went to the, to the north rim of the Grand Canyon, but we spent most of our time in uh, Bryce Canyon National Park and Zion National Park. Who's been to either of those? Let me see your hands. Okay. And so you know what we saw. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just otherworldly. And I, I don't know about you, but it's nature. It's, it's time in places that uh, feel very timeless that remind me that God is sovereign. Uh, I sense his presence in places like that. And I sense that God has always been in control and is still in control in places like that. And we had a great time. I was telling somebody before church, my steps, I I follow Donna on these trips. I just follow her. And and by about the fifth day, my step count was above 20,000 for that day. And uh, and I said, honey, we got to slow down. And she said, what? I can't hear you. And she kept going. Um, And so there we were. And so we were going to take a bike ride up through Zion Canyon. And so during the summer, if you've been to Zion, you know this, uh, you can't even take your own car up through Zion Canyon. They have too many people that visit the park. In fact, now it's up to like 5 million a year visit Zion National Park. It's crazy because it's not a very big park. It's pretty small. But this main road that goes up through Zion Canyon, several stops and sites to see along the way, um, you take tour buses uh, all the way up into the canyon. It's a beautiful way to see the park, but you really can't see it as if you were in your own car. There's people around you, a little crowded in the bus, all those kinds of things. And so we thought we would ride bikes up the canyon. And so operative word is, is up the canyon. I mean, it's not steep. It's not steep, but it's not level either. And it's uphill. And I said to Donna, you know, what we need to do is rent e-bikes. That's what we need to do. And she said, I don't think we need to do that. We brought our bikes. They're on the back of our trailer. I said, no, we totally need to rent e-bikes. She said, I don't know about that. So I'm trying to do the Jedi mind trick thing on her. But eventually she caved and we rented e-bikes. And we're going to ride them up in the morning all the way up to the top of the canyon and see things and ride them back down. So we got these e-bikes, start up the canyon. And she said, I don't think this is great. I said, what do you mean? This is great. This, is, this thing is moving. I'm not even moving it much. And she said... You know, I mean, it's, I mean, it's fine, but this bike's kind of heavy. What do you mean heavy? This is working. This is incredible. And so I am cruising. Now, normally when we ride bikes, I'm trailing. That's how it works. But with this e-bike, I'm in the lead. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she's trailing me. And I can, you know, it's just a change. I like a change. And so we're headed up the canyon. And she says, this, I don't know, it seems harder to me. And I thought, you are just whining and complaining. You didn't, it wasn't your idea. You didn't want to do this. And this, you're going to make this horrible for me. And that's not true. I didn't think all but two of those things. And so um, on the way up the canyon, we're up there. And, and she, at one point, we hit a hill. And she's standing up, you know, off the seat and pedaling this thing, really. And I thought, this is, this is kind of weird. Finally, at the top of the canyon, you know, I look at her bike and check out the electronics and said, hey, you know, uh, you hit this button, but you also have to hit this button. And she said, oh, what do you mean? I said, well, this is an important button. She got a bad tutorial from the, the renter guy, okay? And we started then on the way down, of course. The whole way up, the whole way up, her bike wasn't even on. So, you know, e-bikes are heavy. E-bikes are kind of heavy. Who cares, right? They're e-bikes. It doesn't matter unless your e-bike isn't on. 
And we started down on a kind of a flat area and she said, this is amazing. <laughs> yes, it is amazing. Now we're going to buy e-bikes, you know, because Donna thinks they're amazing. So all the way down, you know, we got down, we had a few little hills and the whole, the whole way, she's just, this is incredible. The way up was awful. Yep. Yep. That's right. And so now Donna knows how to operate a, an e-bike. When we are going through these parables uh, this summer and Don, what he taught last week, it, it seems to me that the parables of Jesus, if, if faith is hard for you, if, I don't mean hard like uh, the narrow way hard. I mean like friction. Uh, if it feels like it's not working out well for you, I feel like the parables and the teachings of Jesus if you understand them, if you embrace them for what they say and for what they teach, I feel like it's, I mean, it's just like turning on an e-bike, okay? I mean, it takes something that is very, very hard and you hit the little button and you just go. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but it works the way it's supposed to work. And I feel like the parables take us to a place that help us with faith in a way, especially in this complex world that is full of hate and judgment and vitriol and division. And it helps you find a place of peace and joy and contentment. And not only that, but effectiveness in your walk with God. Jesus said this, okay? For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he didn't say is life is easy. He, he's no, he knows better. He's not going to say that. What he didn't say is, you know, if you do what I say, you know, life will be easy. No, no. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, what he's saying is, look, if you approach faith in the way that I teach you, if you engage in your life with God in this way, then you will find that it works. It works. If you're trying to live a life of law and grace, then this will be a burden that you cannot live. If you're trying to live the way that you were taught and that is off base, error, you know, a few degrees of separation from the gospel, and you're trying to understand the gospel, then you will find yourself carrying two things that shouldn't be held by the same person. But I think when Jesus says, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. He's saying, look, if you can embrace what I've taught, then you'll find in your life that it just works. It's like finding the button. And you, you know, we, we, we got the cheapest e-bikes. You, know, you still had to pedal. I wanted the other kind, but whatever. Um, <laughs> even though you had to pedal, I'm like, this thing is cruising. This is really, this is how it is. And I believe that that's exactly what Jesus wants us to experience in a life of faith. Because life is hard. It's incredibly hard, incredibly difficult. And if you can take the teachings of Jesus, apply them to the way that you live and love, then you'll find that there is an ease and a lightness to what Jesus has called us to. Now, the series is called Hidden in Plain Sight. And we've called it that because when Jesus teaches in parables, it's kind of confusing. And so he'll come along and he'll explain a parable. Or some people will say to him, we don't get that. What, what was that all about? Why did you tell that story? And so then he'll pull the disciples aside and he'll explain to them something, something unique about what he said and give them the whole breakdown. And sometimes every analogy is articulated very clearly by Jesus in the Gospels. That's most of the parables. 
But what we're going to talk about for the next two weeks, Jesus didn't do any of that. He just laid it out. In fact, Jesus was so clear about what he is about to say, it's like he wanted us to hear exactly what he meant with no misconception. And he wanted to say it so plainly that even before he tells the parable or gives us the metaphor, the analogy, he gives us the truth, the principle, the message, the big idea, the thing that you must apply to your life. And he does it in such a way that you cannot miss it unless you want to miss it. And of course, inexplicably, most of us, well, we've missed it. And we find ourselves behaving or thinking or having our hearts move in directions that are not easy and not light. And it affects most every relationship that we have. And so before he gets to any of that, Jesus wants to lay it out. And he does so with three words. And this is what he says. Say it with me. You ready? Do not Say it again. Say it with me. You ready? Say, say it like you mean it, like you might, might even try it this week, okay? <laughs> say it with me. Do not judge. In fact, this is such an unlived idea that Jesus describes that most of us can't even fathom what he meant by this. Most of us can't even put together why Jesus would say this. And he says it as a rabbi, and most rabbis listening would have thought, I thought our whole thing was to judge. He says it in front of many religious people, and of course the religious people think the very same thing, not just rabbi teachers, but Pharisees and teachers of the law, even the disciples, and they would think the same thing. I thought the whole point of the deal was to judge. And Jesus says, no, 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 you've misunderstood the whole thing. Do not judge. And so for a couple of weeks, we'll take a look at a couple different parables, one today and one next week, and I'll throw in another one just for good measure, because this is a massive umbrella philosophy, teaching, principle that Jesus lays down over and over and over again. And we're in parables, but if we were just doing a series about this, we would tell about interactions that Jesus had with very specific people and settings where he found himself, people that are engaging in judging and how he handles that. It's, in the Gospels, it's on almost every page. And so if, if faith is hard for you, this is probably why. If you have a hard time overcoming a, a, a hurt in your life because of church or how other believers have treated you or, or been with you, this is probably why. If you feel like you don't measure up and you carry that sense with you most of the time, like you just can't get there in whatever way, this is probably why. So I don't know about you, but we love to people watch. Who loves to people watch? Anybody? We love to be, come on, put your hands up. Who loves to people watch? Yeah, yeah. We love to people watch. We, we enjoy it. I mean, I would call it a hobby. I would call it a hobby about, well, mine anyway, I call it a hobby. It's, a, it's what a minimalist today would call a hobby because it requires no equipment. You can do it wherever you want to go. Uh, you can do it in a lot of different places. What are some of your favorite places to people watch, if you're being honest? Say it out loud. Airport, ballpark. What's that? 
restaurants. I can't watch at restaurants uh, because of the way people typically eat, but you know, good for you. That's all good. Uh, where, where else? Parker Days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you live uh, any, any, any time there's, uh, you know, the, the carnival crowd, they're fun to watch. Not that I'm not one of them. I am a carnival person. Um, where else? Concerts. Concerts. So good. So I, lo- I love the airport. I love busy places. I love any place that I can just sort of put my seat back and then have a, a, just a, a just mass of humanity out in front of me and just sit down and... And I, I feel like what I need most of the time when I do this is, is just a notebook, you know, so I can, I, I can take notes. Because mostly what we're doing when we're people watching, we're observing. And I, and I feel like I'm, I'm Diane Fossey, you know what I mean? Like gorillas in the mist, you know, I'm, I'm watching people in their natural habitat. <laughs> and, I, and taking notes about human behavior and, and I see this and I, it's, it's fascinating, I love it. And you, I love to tell stories about all of those things. I, I was getting my hair cut the other day, as you can see, and, um, and I was sitting in the chair, and I was keenly, you know, the, the gal cutting my hair is trying to chat with me, but I'm trying to pay attention to the six other conversations that are going on <laughs> in the barbershop, you know, so that I can tell those stories later to you, you know, <laughs> and I've got three of them that are just written down, ready, ready, locked and loaded, and so this is, this is what we do. We observe. We're just paying attention. And we find it interesting, we find it puzzling, we find it fascinating, we find it funny, we find it sad. I, I love it, I love it. It's, it's the same thrill or feeling I get as, we, as I watch a story unfold, either on a screen or in a book in front of me, it's, except it's real life and it's right there and it's free, mostly. Mostly it's free. But we observe, that's what we do. And, but but it's, it's not just that we observe, because observing is one piece of it. But the other thing that we engage in is that we learn. I don't know if you are like me, but I learn best when I watch other people. And for good or for bad, right? Like, don't do it that way. You saw what happened to them. Or, oh, I never thought of doing it that way. That's incredible. I always do it the other way. And so I learn from people. We're in this now two or three years into this RV little travel trailer world. And we, we pull up to a campsite. You know, we park. It takes me a while to park. I still had not known how to back up a trailer. Um, and that is something I can't do by watching because it involves mirrors. I always do it backwards, but eventually we get it put where we want it to go, and once it's set, I'm paying attention to all the other trailers, and later in the evening, we'll go for a walk, and we'll look at that setup and look at that setup and pay attention to them and all those kinds of things, and I learn all kinds of things about how to do whatever it is, and maybe you do the same thing. Maybe you are naturally a learner when it comes to watching other people. And you might even ask questions, but you are learning from this experience of people watching. And as you learn, that's obviously what's happened when you have observed. As you learn from other people about how to do things and how not to do things, then the natural thing that we begin to do next is we begin to evaluate. And we think, well, I I learned how to do it, I also learned how not to do it, and there's got to be a better way to do this, and so I learn that, and then I pay attention, and as I evaluate and as I critique, I begin to tailor-make my choices based on what I have learned. You do the same thing. We do this a thousand different ways, and when we do this, this is good for me and for you. It 
keeps us in good, safe places. It keeps us doing things that work well. It helps us pay attention to other people. It might even help us warn somebody else to say, oh, I see what you're about to do. You might not want to do that. You know, we, we saw a shirt that Donna almost bought me that said, I'm sorry for what I said when I was backing up the trailer, you know. Um, these are the kinds of things that we see when we watch other people. And so we observe and we learn and we evaluate. And these are all good things in their human behaviors. And when we engage in them, whether it's with your neighbors, your friends, or your family, at the baseball game, at the airport, or watching somebody parent at the playground... They lose their temper, and you think, oh, I mean, if they could see what that looked like, they would never do that again, because I saw what that looked like, and yet I'm doing it tomorrow. We begin to evaluate. Now, this little slope that you are observing here, observing, learning, and evaluating, we're one step away from judging. And when we get to that place, we have slowly slid from helpful, educational, informative to a place of judgment, that there is a best way, that there is a wrong way, right way, not just for me, but for you. In fact, I've not only made that decision for me, I've made that decision for you as well. And that place of judgment well, we've edged into the dark place that Jesus describes when he says, do not judge. Now, if you feel a bit of tension, you should. Does that mean I can't have an opinion? Nope, I bet you have a few. Does that mean I can't decide what is best for me and for somebody else? What if it's somebody I love? What if I need to step in? What if I need to be the one that says, no, you can't go down that path. You're gonna hurt yourself. Nope, that, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, do not judge. But if you feel the tension between his statement and our desire to take what we've observed and learned and evaluate and use it in our lives and maybe in the lives of other people that we care deeply about, if you feel that tension, then you're paying attention to what Jesus said. Because you should feel it. In fact, most of us are fully aware that one of our hobbies, if we like to people watch, slides very quickly to a place of judgment, evaluation, and critique. And when it does, we're in a, a dangerous place. I know that the longer I live, it feels like the less I know. But the longer I live, there's more stuff that I know about. And so I understand where the moniker grumpy old man comes from and why we watch the world around us and wonder, you know, why we haven't just fallen off into the abyss of meaninglessness. And my guess is there's many of you that feel the same way when you watch the world go the direction that it's going. And so we end up there, us and others. And it brings harm to me and to you. And so this week and next week, we'll talk about why Jesus said, do not judge how easily we slip into that place and how far 
people who follow Jesus have gone, what great lengths they have gone to to say, well, this is not what he meant when he said, do not judge. Because if we're committed to anything, followers of Jesus, it is, in fact, judging. In fact, if you've been around church most of your life, then you know that thoroughly and well. And many of us have picked up those habits in ways well, they're just second nature. And so it's important. And the freedom that is on the other side of understanding what Jesus said, well, all of his teachings are for you. And Jesus wants you to experience the love and the freedom that comes when you decide to live out those three simple words, do not judge. So he tells a parable, and this is the little parable that he tells. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the what? To the plank in your own eye. It's, it's a ridiculous hyperbole, right? And so you've pictured it, haven't you, when you've read this? Maybe you've read it before that some man, woman has a two by four protruding from their eye socket, you know, and they're, you know, they've got a pair of tweezers in their hand and they're looking for the speck of sawdust in the NIV or little tiny piece of wood. Both words in the Greek represent a piece of wood, very small to very large. And Jesus knows that the hyperbole that he is illustrating sounds utterly preposterous to us. And he wants it to sound that way. He wants us to know that our habit is to what? Look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye all the while paying no attention to the plank in our own eye. And he says this, then how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Several weeks ago, I was doing a little home project and I had a plank in my hands and ended up with a speck in my finger. It was a splinter, little tiny splinter. That ended up in my finger. And, and, you know, thankfully I live with a nurse. And so we got a little piece of tweezers and we thought we got most of it. And my finger began to swell a little bit. And long story short, I'm in an operating room at University Hospital because the doctor ultrasounded it and said, nope, something's in there. And he saw it. He says, it's kind of big. How big is it? Well, it looks like a piece of lumber to me. It's about a centimeter long. And I thought, well, I don't know. Is it a speck or is it a plank? Well, if it's in your finger, it feels like a plank, but it looks a bit more like a speck. And so an anesthesiologist, a surgeon, a nurse, an operating room fee are all included while my arm is laid across and the doctor puts on these little spectacles that let him see Things that are very small, yet to him they look very large. A little slice, peeling back the skin, and he begins to pull out this piece of lumber. They put it on a piece of tape. I'm awake, it's just a local, right? And then they hand it to me. You want to see it? No, I don't want to see it. <laughs> do you see me looking at what you're doing? I don't, that's not what I do. I would have passed out. So they show this to me and I mean, it looks big, but it's small, relatively speaking, compared to the two by four that I messed with 
in my little home project. But had I left it, had I let it remain and said, you know, it's, it's small, it's no big deal, it'll go away, I would have ended up with an infected finger and, as it were, find myself on antibiotics and all of this mess because of the tiniest little piece of wood. When Jesus is describing the hypocrisy that exists in our lives, he's saying, look, your habit is to place your attention and your energy on the faults, the behavior, the shortcomings of other people. Listen close. Your assessment of other people's righteousness or sinfulness is an endeavor that will not serve you well and it will prevent you from dealing with the issues of trust in your own life, allowing God to have his way with you, living according to the teachings of Jesus. In fact, you can be so consumed with other people's beliefs, political leanings, habits, tattoos, you name it, that you don't stop to look at the mirror. In fact, Jesus goes on to say it this way. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus isn't describing a, a process here. He's describing the reality that we engage in when we pronounce judgment on others. Now, judgment can be anything from, well, surely you're not going to make it into the court of heaven, to, oh, you must be one of the laziest people I've ever met, and everything in between. So Jesus describes a cycle that is never-ending in this passage. And the cycle involves, first, our critique, evaluation, and judgment of other people. And then he describes what happens with that standard that we've used with other people and how it comes back to eventually hurt us. In fact, this is how he describes it, okay? Don't miss it. Because Jesus isn't trying to correct your behavior. He's trying to help you find freedom. Jesus, Jesus isn't trying to just hem you in so that you don't treat other people poorly. Jesus wants you to experience the depth of love that he has for you, and he knows that your judgment of others is exactly what gets in the way. And so before he gets to this, here's the whole verse, two verses out of Matthew 7, 1 and 2. You read the first part, do not judge, and then he says this, do not judge or what, or what? or you too will be judged. Now, I just want you to stop and ponder that just for a moment. It's gonna get a little deeper, but this first idea is critical for you to understand. He is saying that the ones who are judged are those who judge others. In other words, the only people who find themselves under judgment are those who have sat in judgment, the seat of judgment of other people. That sounds very contrary to our understanding, not only of how God works, but how faith works and how judgment works. Jesus says, if you judge, you too will be judged. So he's describing the cycle. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured 
to you. In other words, Jesus is saying that when you put yourself in a position of critiquer, evaluator, and then the judgment is pronounced or laid out, when you do that unwittingly, you are taking a measuring stick and applying it not only to your friend or your neighbor or your family member, that they shouldn't live this way, they shouldn't think this way, they should behave in a very different way. Not only are you doing that, you are putting yourself in a position that prevents God's love and God's mercy and God's grace from reaching you. Because if it cannot reach them, it cannot reach you. And you know this. Most of the things that we critique other people for, it's a standard that even we don't meet. It might be a little bit of a different category. It might be a shade of gray. It might be a little over here, and then we don't meet the standard on this side of the issue. But 99% of the time, when we use a measuring stick for somebody else, we find ourselves already in condemnation. An arm's length from God's love with the inability to experience the acceptance that he wants to offer. See, when Jesus tells us not to judge and he gives us this whole speck and sawdust and lumber and plank analogy, he's trying to put you in a place where you can receive his love and mercy. In fact, if you haven't received it, it's impossible to give. When we take communion together as we're about to, this is the very essence of the communion meal, that we receive mercy, grace, and acceptance, and then we freely give it to other people. And Jesus has much more to say about this, but our hope and our prayer this week is that you would be aware when you are people watching as a hobby or engaging in some sort of pondering other people's lives, and you found yourself moving from observing to learning to evaluating to critiquing to judgment, and that you would begin to back up from that place and begin to see that God's mercy has just moved out of reach for you. So when Jesus was with his disciples, I'll ask our servers to make their way to the back as we prepare to take communion together. When Jesus was with his disciples the last night of his life, these elements were before him. And as he shared the bread and the wine of the Passover meal, Jesus was going to invite them to an experience of grace and mercy that they would have never experienced before in their life. Table fellowship or the experience of a meal together in the Jewish context meant that we are like each other. We are the same. In other words, I accept you as a brother or a sister. And that invitation for Jesus to eat with these, his friends, one who would deny him, others that would scatter the moment things got dicey, others that would find themselves failing in many other ways. Jesus is saying, my love is for you. It isn't based on your performance. It's not even based on your obedience. My love is complete. 
And my love for you, Peter, is the same as it is for James and Bartholomew and Thaddeus and John and even Judas. This love covers every part of your life and your heart. When you and I receive communion today, you'll be in the presence of somebody from our church who will say to you, this is the the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ poured out for you. Receiving these gifts into your hands and ultimately your body is your way of saying, God, I receive your love and I receive your mercy. And I know how many times even this week I've fallen short of the life I want to live or the heart that I want to have or the love that I want to give or the thoughts that I shouldn't have. I know, Lord, how often I fall short. But we recognize as a spiritual community that that falling short doesn't keep us from God's love at all. Nor does it keep those from God's love, the people that we sit in judgment of. In fact, that measure that Jesus is referring to, it doesn't even keep you from God's love. It just keeps you from experiencing it or knowing it, being welcomed into it. And so this week, if you found yourself in that cycle of judgment, that cycle of negativity, cycle of holier than thou or comparison, my guess is, is you find yourself in a place of you know, just a little more darkness than you intended. And as we take communion today, our hope is that God would transform my heart, your heart, us as a community into a group of people that will show the kind of love and mercy to the community in this place, Castle Rock, Parker, and beyond, that God has given to each of us. So he held up the bread and he said, this is my body and it's broken for you. And he tore it in front of his friends. The next day they would see his flesh tear. They would remind them of the meal that they had and the love that they have received. He held up the cup and he poured into it the fruit of the vine, red in color, just like the blood that would be spilled the very next day. And he held it in front of his friends and he said, this is my blood, it's poured out for you. It's for the forgiveness of your sins. It represents the new covenant. The old covenant was based on what you do and did. This covenant's different. The sacrifice has been given for your sins and you have been reconciled and redeemed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. We receive them today with glad hearts May his mercy change us from the inside out. Let's pray together. So Lord, as we receive these gifts from some in our church body, our hope and our prayer is that you would help us to thoughtfully consider the words of Jesus as he instructs us, do not judge. Lord, this uh, admonition comes from place of love and kindness and mercy and the invitation in this corrective statement of not judging the invitation is to freedom Lord we were not meant to sit in the seat of judgment we were not meant to bear that burden 
Lord, when we do, we separate ourselves from your love and your forgiveness. And so today, as we receive communion, we receive your mercy and your goodness. We, we eat it and we drink it in. As the psalmist said, we are to taste and see that you are good. And so we receive all of this and we pray that it would give us a love for each other and even those whose names we don't know that we like to sit in judgment of, that you would change our hearts for everyone that we would love first and only. So Lord, now as we receive these elements, the sacrament of communion, we pray that you would inhabit this place, help us to see your mercy fresh and new. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray.